the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. King wants to put her on display like an object. And you ladies understand that one of the most damaging thing to a woman is to treat her like she's an object. Vashti here is being requested to come because the king just wants to show her off as an object. He wants to parade her in front of his drunken buddies as something to gratify their lustful desires and to satisfy their, their eye candy because she is beautiful. The Bible says that she's beautiful and lovely to look at. In fact, Vashti translates beautiful. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Esther. Today, Pastor Gary will be starting a new series through the book of Esther. As we begin this new book, one theme runs continually throughout this historical account. And it's that God always has a plan to redeem his people. Some critics say that the Bible is full of belittling things towards women. But the truth of the matter is that all throughout the Bible, including this book, we see how God used women to fulfill his plans and purposes. God brought liberation to women that were oppressed by the men of that society. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Esther, Chapter 1, for Part 1 of today's message titled, The Dignity of Woman. This story takes place in Iran, and it is remarkable the similarities in our own day because this is a book about the potential extermination of the Jewish people that the seedbed of which was in Iran. And what do we have happening today? So as we get through into more into the book of Esther, I'm going to talk about some of the modern parallels, what you have the threat of Iran against Israel today. It was an ancient threat. It's been ongoing from that location against the Jewish people. The year of this story is roughly 480 B.C. But again, um, the story of Esther is about life that, of the exiles who remained in Persia. When the king of Persia, Cyrus, who was first uh, king of, of Persia, allowed the Jewish people to return to their homeland, some went, but many stayed. And those who stayed, this book, Esther, and the book of Daniel record life uh, for the exiles who remained. The king of Persia at this time is a guy by the name of Xerxes. There were a few Xerxes in history. The NIV uses the word Xerxes here. It is the Greek transliteration of his Persian name. But if you have a King James Bible, it doesn't say Xerxes. It says Ahasuerus. 
Ahasuerus is derived from the Hebrew translation of his name, which is Akash Varosh. So the King James opts for transliterating the Hebrew, and IV opts for transliterating the Greek version of this guy's name. So if I read Xerxes and you have a King James Bible, Ahasuerus, we're talking about the same individual. The queen of Persia at this time is Vashti. She is mentioned here in chapter 1. She happens to be the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king who first came in 586 against Jerusalem, besieged the city, and hauled off tens of thousands of Jews into captivity. The captivity of the Jews in Babylon started under King Nebuchadnezzar. This is his granddaughter here, Vashti. The main character of the book, of course, is Esther, after whom the book is named. But that is not her given Jewish name. She is a, a young Jewish woman whose parents have died, we find out in the course of the Bible here, uh, and whose older cousin Mordecai is raising her as his own daughter. We find that in chapter 2, verse 7. And again, Esther is not her given name. Esther is her Persian name, derived from the principal female deity of the Persians and Babylonians, Ishtar. Her given Jewish name is Hadassah. Hadassah translates in Hebrew, myrtle. It's a beautiful tree, and so it's a beautiful name, and that's her name, Esther. But her given name is Hadassah, although she's referred to as Esther throughout the book. The writer of the book is unknown. Uh, it is perhaps Mordecai, her older cousin, but we don't know for sure. It is the only book in the Bible where God's name is not mentioned, not by name, not by title, not by pronoun, not even by reference, but he is clearly seen throughout the book. We'll talk about his providence uh, in the upcoming weeks. And uh, the Jewish feast of Purim comes from this book because of the story of, of, uh, of Esther. Uh, Purim is a celebration of God's providential deliverance of the Jews from being annihilated. And I've been in Israel on one occasion during the time of Purim, and all the kids get dressed up and costumes like the Queen Esther, and, and the guys get dressed up like, like Mordecai, and, and they go throughout the streets, and they ask for candy and stuff. It's very much like Halloween, except with a really biblical basis. So Purim is the celebration of God's providential care over the Jewish people from annihilation. And then this last point is important to understand to the story of Esther and ongoing through the rest of the Old Testament as we go straight through the Bible. When you, when you have your Bibles here, and I'm just going to hold up, this, this in my Bible is Genesis to Nehemiah. Genesis to Nehemiah is the sum total of the Old Testament story. Genesis to Nehemiah. Now, you can take the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and attach it to the end of Nehemiah, and you have the entire Old Testament. And I point this out because going forward, all the books, including Esther, all the rest of the books of the Old Testament, with the exception of Malachi, that fits at the end here. All the other books of the Old Testament fit somewhere within the storyline between Genesis and Nehemiah. All the other books of the Old Testament. So I said to Terry the other night, I said, if the Lord wills, you know, this is the third time that I've taught through the Bible here at Cornerstone. And if the Lord wills that I should have another opportunity to do it, um, I thought maybe we'll go chronologically. We'll still go through the whole Bible, but we'll go chronologically because the Bible is not written in chronological order. This is what you have, Genesis to Nehemiah. All the other books, with the exception of Malachi, fit somewhere within this storyline, and so does Esther. Esther's story fits between Ezra chapter 6 and 7. Between Ezra 6 and 7, there is a gap of about six decades, during which time the story of Esther transpires. So from this point on through the rest of the Old Testament, we're actually looking backwards. 
Esther is a story that fits backwards. She precedes Nehemiah. Nehemiah came 444 B.C. Esther is 480 B.C. When you look at the storyline of Esther, the first of the Jewish remnants have already returned to Jerusalem. There were three waves of Jews who went back to Jerusalem. The first wave has returned, and her story happens between the first and second waves of the exiles who return. And again, her story is life in Persia. All right, so that's all the background related to this book as we look at it uh, beginning today. Esther herself does not appear until chapter 2 in this book. So for today, as we look at chapter 1, we're not going to even look at Esther herself. But we are going to see another female hero in the book of Esther who often goes overlooked. And we're going to talk about her today. I'm actually going to be looking at this story from the angle of a teaching that today I've entitled, The Dignity of Women. The Dignity of Women. So whether you're a mom or not, this is for all of you ladies today, in particular as we look at Esther chapter 1. Esther chapter 1, let me read the first nine verses. Here we go, verse 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes, or King James, Ahasuerus. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. Now, Cush is Ethiopia. This is a wide swath of land from India to Ethiopia that he is ruling. At the time, at that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa, and in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Medea, the princes, and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. And when these days were over, the king gave a banquet, lasting seven days, in the enclosed garden of the king's palace, for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen, fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink in his own way, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. All right, we'll pause there your attention. So what we have here in the opening scene of chapter 1 is a drunken dinner party that King Xerxes throws for all of his male officials and nobles. Now, this is a guys-only party. The women are not invited. They have a separate banquet going on in the palace with Vashti, verse 9 tells us. So this party here is just for his nobles, officials, military leaders. It tells us in verse 3, again, who was there. Military leaders of Persia and Medea, the princes, and the nobles of the provinces were present. And it told us in verse 1 that there were 127 provinces, so there's at least that many. And when you calculate the, the, the whole number, it's probably in the range of a couple hundred guys. A couple of hundred men who are here, and um, they are at the palace, at the citadel of Susa. And what a, an ornate and opulent palace it is. If you look again at verse 6, it tells us that the garden had hangings of white and blue linen, fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble 
pillars. Doesn't that sound luxurious? And that's because it was. I mean, this is the king's palace. Xerxes is the most powerful man on the planet at this particular time. I want you to picture an outdoor garden area with standing marble pillars and stretched across the top, much like what we have even today. We have these uh, material, uh, uh, we call sails that we kind of pull, an outdoor restaurant in areas to provide some shade from the summer sun. And so they have these blue sails and white sails and purple sails, fabric that has been tied from pillar to pillar, fastened with silver rings. By the way, colored material, very very luxurious and very expensive material back in the day because the process of dye and the expense of dye was something reserved for kings. So blue, purple, white, very beautiful outdoor garden. It tells us that they sat on, look at the rest of verse 6, they sat, there were couches of gold and silver. All right, so they're sitting on couches made out of gold and silver. I hope they had cushions. That would be a little tough to sit on for a long time. And... They walked on a mosaic pavement of porphyry. I had to look that up. It's rock with crystals, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. So a very luxurious setting that we have here with the palace of King Xerxes. You're sitting on seats and couches of gold and silver. You're walking on pavement that has mother of pearl in it. So very beautiful, very luxurious. And verse 5 tells us, that this banquet lasted for seven days. I mean, for 180 days, it says for six months, he puts the kingdom on display, but he throws this banquet for seven days for all of his male officials and nobles. And verse 7 tells us that each official, each guest, got his own wine goblet out of gold. Now, and, and everybody else got their own unique wine goblet. They're, every person got their own drinking vessel, okay, because they're going to drink. And listen, it is the king's wine. It is the royal wine. It's not the cheap wine. This is the good stuff that the king has brought out. And each man has his own particular golden goblet here. And verse 8 says that there was no limit to the alcohol. No limit. The king had stewards, wine stewards, going around filling up your wine goblet every time it got empty. Now, friends, I, I want you to put all this together here. I want you to understand the whole scene here. You have a bunch of guys, all right, a bunch of men with an open bar, all right, and they're drinking for seven long days, all right? I want you to picture a frat party on steroids because that's what's happening here. I want you to picture an average week in the life of Johnny Manziel. That's what I want. No, I, sorry, that's... That's terrible to say, but you get the idea here. When you have seven days, a bunch of guys who've gotten together and all they're doing is drinking, something bad is bound to happen, okay? Now, you don't have to raise your hands if you were a part of a frat party, but I know you'd understand what I'm talking about, right? Because when you have a bunch of guys together, unlimited alcohol, you've even got your own personal wine goblet, okay? And you're doing this for seven long days. I guarantee you, something inappropriate is going to happen or someone is going to jail or both. Now... Something inappropriate does happen. It may not look inappropriate at the surface, but when you dig down and understand the dynamics, it's very inappropriate. Here's what happens. King Xerxes gets sauced after seven days, and he makes an inappropriate request of his wife. Look at verse 10. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine. All right, so he's plastered now at this point. He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him. Now, before we read their names, understand that in those days, 
if you were a man and you served in the king's palace, you were castrated. You were made a eunuch because they never wanted to run the risk that a man who worked in the palace would corrupt the royal seed by sleeping and impregnating the queen, sleeping with her and, and impregnating her. So every man who served in the palace of the king was made a eunuch to preserve the royal seed, the royal line. And so the king is going to send his seven eunuchs here to go tell Vashti something. And so we have the names of the seven guys here. And look at the first name here. It's hilarious. Me human. <laughs> me human. Me can't have children, but me human. And then Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abigtha, Zethar, and I love this last guy's name, Carcass. <laughs> this is the guy who always overslept. And as, as a kid, and his mom would come in and say, get your lazy carcass up out of bed. That's this guy. And the name just stuck. Verse 11. This is what he wanted the eunuchs to do. To bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. All right, so... The seven eunuchs are sent by the king. You go into the palace and you tell Vashti, come. So the seven eunuchs go into the palace. Hey, the king wants to see you. <laughs> I'm shaking my head at me, people. It's tough being me sometimes. I'm serious. It's... Anyway, so they go in and they say to the queen, hey, king wants to see you. Now, what is the reason Xerxes wants to see you? The king is not interested in introducing the lovely queen of the palace to his friends. That, that's, that's not what is going on here. What is going on here is that the king wants to put her on display like an object. And you ladies understand that one of the most damaging thing to a woman is to treat her like she's an object. Vashti here is being requested to come because the king just wants to show her off as an object. He wants to parade her in front of his drunken buddies as something to gratify their lustful desires and to satisfy their, their eye candy because she is beautiful. The Bible says that she is beautiful and lovely to look at. In fact, Vashti translates beautiful. Okay, so that's what the king is up to. He's just like, come on here. I'm going to parade you in front of my drunken friends. I'm gonna, I want them to be able to you know, gawk at you and look at you and, and lust after you, basically. That's what he wants as a little entertainment. For his drunken frat brothers. Okay? Now, out of a little self-respect and dignity, Vashti says, I ain't going. No. Look at verse 12. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. And then the king became furious and burned with anger. Folks, this is a very risky move on her part. Very risky move to say no to the most powerful man on the planet at this particular time. She was in jeopardy of losing everything, including potentially her life. You say no to the king in this day, you could be killed. And for all we know, Vashti was killed. The Bible doesn't tell us, but what the Bible does tell us is we don't hear from her anymore from this point on. And what the Bible does tell us is that she is deposed from the throne for refusing the king and saying no to her husband. And for all we know, she may have even been banished if she wasn't killed, been banished from all of Persia. Now, 
Here we have this scene here of a wife saying no to her husband and of the dynamics of the king and the queen here and this disagreement that is happening in the palace in the citadel of Susa. I want to just kind of digress for a moment and kind of bring in a modern matter that relates to this story, and then we'll come back to the story. I don't know how many of you may have heard in the news this past week, but Kurt Cameron, who was the teen star of the show Growing Pains on TV, who has become a Christian and now, you know, very strong evangelical, Kurt Cameron ignited a firestorm on social media over comments that he made concerning marriage, concerning biblical marriage. Now, today he and his wife travel to various churches and they lead marriage conferences in, in a and a uh, conference that they've been called Love Worth, that they've called Love Worth Fighting For. And so apparently, Kirk Cameron was at a church recently giving this conference where Christians were gathered in a church to hear a biblical teaching on marriage. All right, it wasn't intended for an outside unbelieving world, but some of the things he said got out to an outside unbelieving world. It's the, it's the world of social media today. And there was a social media fi- firestorm against him, so much so. That on Monday morning, when I got up to watch the morning news, I turned on the Today Show. It's the number three story of the day. Number three, and all the things that are going on in our world, number three on the Today Show was Kirk Cameron and, and all his backwards way of thinking and talking about marriage and life. Number three. You know, and I say to myself, the Today Show, it's like a bad accident on the highway that you really shouldn't look at, but you just can't help yourself, you know? And so, you know, that's what I find myself doing. And every time that I just get upset, like, why, why am I watching this? But anyhow, so it was a number three story. And here's what Kirk Cameron said in the course of this Christian conference at a church. He said, and this is just part of it. He said, quote, wives are to honor and respect and follow their husband's lead. When each person gets their part right, regardless of how their spouse is treating them, there is hope for real change in their marriage, end quote. So he was that that part right there that created this social media firestorm. Now, I don't need to defend Kirk Cameron, neither has he asked me to or needs me to. Um, but I just want to say this. First of all, that quote was lifted from the context of an entire teaching that he gave. Okay, so it's always terrible to just take one thing somebody says without understanding everything. So that by itself, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with what he said, but it's always bad to just pluck one thing out. But the other thing is we have to recognize is because one thing was lifted from an entire talk, if he's teaching on Ephesians chapter 5, no doubt he got to the other part, which talks about how husbands need to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And also it's a dangerous thing to assume, as some did from the backlash of response, that when he talks about how uh, each, when each person gets, quote, when each person gets their part right, regardless of how their spouse is treating them, we shouldn't assume that he means including an abusive relationship. So there were a lot of assumptions and a lot of mischaracterizations that were, that were made in social media. And again, I'm not trying to defend him, but giving the benefit of the doubt, because he doesn't need me to defend him, but giving him the benefit of the doubt, when I hear as a Christian and I pass things through a biblical worldview. That's my grid that I pass things through. When I hear a Christian talking about how, when each person gets their part right, regardless of how their spouse is treating them, then there is hope for real change in their marriage. Here's how I hear it. What I'm hearing is, husbands need to stop trying to fix their wives, and wives need to stop trying to fix their husbands, 
And that if we each just were working on ourselves between us and the Lord and allow God to take care of our spouse, then there's real hope for marriage. We're so glad you tuned in for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Be sure to join us next time to continue the story of Queen Esther and discover her courage to help step into difficult or impossible situations. Esther was an orphan and part of an exiled group of people, yet God elevated her and used her in mighty ways. No matter who you are or what your situation is, God can use your life for His glory. He also promises to walk alongside you in every moment, providing strength, courage, and love everlasting. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. And you're invited to join us for weekend services of worship and learning together. Our services are held Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. Or for more in-depth study time in the Word, join us Wednesday nights at 7. If you're not in the area, you can still hear more from Pastor Gary. Live stream our services or download the Cornerstone Connection app, providing you with access to our archive of teachings. Find out more at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad we had this time together today, and we encourage you to join us again for more in the book of Esther right here on Cornerstone Connection. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.